time realized would change the world forever. Well, you know how some, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes a preacher gets it in his head, okay, that he's going to preach a certain text on a certain subject. And then the Lord says, no, you're not. But Lord, it's Christmas. Yeah, no, you're not. Yes, Lord. So I started looking back into the book of 1 John, and the Lord showed me three gifts, though he gives us many gifts, but three gifts, the main ones, that Jesus gives the believer. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 1 John. That's going to be our main text today. And you know, we, we celebrate Jesus at this time of year. We celebrate his coming. And as we found out, uh, that wasn't the end of the story, was it, on December 24th when we had our Christmas Eve service. We found out that's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. And he knew the end from the beginning. And he still does. He knows our end from the beginning. He knows the end of the world from the beginning because He is God. And He he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothing for one purpose, and that was to die for our sins, my sins and your sins. So today we're back in the book of 1 John. And as we know, it's one of the five books in the New Testament that was written by John, the Apostle, Brother of James, remember they were known as the Sons of Thunder. This letter was written between AD 85 and AD 100. There was some crisis going on in the church with some false teachers and people pulling away or trying to pull away those that belonged to Jesus to a different way of thinking, basically a cult. And so John sees this and he decides to write a letter. And so we get 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from that. Biblical text, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. That's where I'll be this morning. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For in it we find truth and we find life. Lord, we thank you for the people that you have been sending our way. And we thank you for the visitors that we've had. We thank you, Lord, for those that have become members or become uh, regular attenders of our congregation. God, I, I love you and I thank you, Lord, that you've given me the privilege to stand and speak your word the way hopefully you want it done, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would continue to use this church as a whole, as a mouthpiece for your glory, for your gospel. Help us to spread the good news that there is Jesus and there is a hope in this life that is nothing but seems like death all around us. There is a hope, there is a light in the world, and it is Jesus. And we thank you for that, God. 
praise you, God. And Lord, we pray for not only us, but those that you are calling from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We call them in in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for all things, God. Amen. <laughs> Today's life principle. You know, Jesus gives us a new heart. He really does. And he gives us confidence before God the Father and the ability to abide in him. You would not think that these would be so great. You would not think that these would be awesome gifts. But when we break them down, you're going to find these are amazing gifts given by our Lord and Savior. Jesus gives us, first of all, a new heart. That's our first point. You know, if I'm going to go there, I'm going to go back one verse. We're going to go back one verse uh, to get this into a little bit more context. 1 John three seventeen. Uh, through 19 is where I'm going for a moment. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and it shall assure our hearts before him. Remember, we talked last week how the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, changes who we are when we have received Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. He takes that which is stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Where you didn't care about someone or something in the past, you now begin to care. Where there was hardness, now there's flesh. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put on a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit you were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. A Christian should be changed in their hearts, and of their hearts, out of that heart, should flow the good works. We discussed that. That's the order in which it must happen. It cannot happen the other way. Doing good works won't save you. I've got some, some news for you. Just because you give a lot of money to a church or you served in a church doesn't mean you're saved. Only the receiving of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior will get you to heaven. And by nothing you do, but only by what he does. Doing good works won't save you. But out of the salvation, out of your heart that has been changed and regenerate, good works begin to become second nature to the Christian. James 2.14 says, what does it profit? My brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice the progression here in Ephesians. You are dead. You are dead spiritually before a holy God. But Christ makes you alive. He regenerates you, regenerates your spirit, and raises you up. He then says, oh, by the way, it's nothing to do with you, nothing that you have done or will do by which you are saved. It is by grace through faith alone, not of any works, so that you may not boast that you did something to earn it. And then he says again, oh, by the way, those nice works you're doing, they don't come from you. They come from the work God has done in you. The change that he made in you. You can't even boast in those works either because you have been created in the Savior, that is Jesus, for those good works. Jesus gets the glory. We don't. That's what it comes down to. Jesus gets the glory. We don't. Now, because all of this, you can rest in assurance that God has saved you that you have moved from death to life in Christ. You see, you were going one way in life, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops you. You look, you see what he's doing, and he makes you a new person, makes you something new, something better. And you turn around, you go the other way, away from the world and its system of doing things. The sins you used to love, to revel in, to be a part of, no longer hold any appeal for you. Where you used to love to go drinking, just as an example, and partying, and felt no remorse or no conviction from, if you were to do that now, you would now struggle with that sinful behavior. You would have a problem with it on the inside. You can now truly understand what Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, and I like how the New Living Translation Describe or says this, it says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't understand myself for what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate, but I know that what I'm doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? 
Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You know, the great Christian reformer Martin Luther, who kicked off the Reformation, said this, Faith is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, so that it is impossible for it not to be constantly doing what is good. Likewise, faith does not ask if good works are to be done, but before one can ask, faith has already done them and is constantly active. I like that last part. Before one can ask what good works need to be done, faith has already done them and is constantly active. That's an amazing thought. Chance, can you turn me down just a little bit, please? Point number two. Jesus gives the gift of confidence before God. Of confidence before God. 1 John 3.20 says, For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't make your feelings correct. I can feel guilty over a sin I committed and continually ask repentance over and over and over and over and over. And my heart tells me I am guilty, but God is greater than my heart. Remember, we don't move by feelings, but by the word of God, by faith. We know when we confess our sins before God, he forgives them. Well, how do we know this? Let's go all the way back to the first chapter of John, first John. 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember that verse? 2 Corinthians, here's another one. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In Jeremiah 17.9, we must remember this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? You know, there was a pastor out in California. I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter. But he, uh, he got up on the pulpit and said, I've divorced my wife, and I'm not stepping down. You see, because God has told me this is the woman I should now marry. That's not what the Scripture says. See, he moved with what his heart told him, which is wicked and deceitful above all things, but didn't check the Scripture, or if he knew, he ignored it. And if he's a pastor, he better have known it. What did the church do? Absolutely nothing to their shame. Once we have it settled that we as Christians will move by what God's word says and not by our own feelings, then our hearts will come into alignment with God's word and we can have confidence before God. Before Jesus came, there was only one person who was allowed near God's presence, and that would be the high priest once a year to sacrifice for the people of Israel. And even that required a lot of ceremonial cleansing and a lot of soul searching before a holy God. And to do so without fear and trepidation, you know, that was a bad idea. They even tied a rope around his leg so that if he died, they could pull him out. They stopped hearing the bell ring. They knew there was a problem. Why? Because if you didn't do all things correctly, you could be struck dead in his presence like that. But you see, and here's the miracle. 
When Christ died and rose again, he tore the veil of separation between the people and the most holy of holies. It says so that when he died on that cross, the veil, you know, we think of a veil today like a woman's veil that that during marriage, you know, he kind of lifted up. No, we're talking about a real heavy cloth, something that takes some strength. You could not pick this cloth up on your own. It was so heavy. But that veil was torn right in half when he died. He tore that wall of separation, that veil of separation between the people and the most holy of holies. By his blood, we have been made clean and come into God's presence with confidence, knowing we are clean in his sight. Not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hebrews ten nineteen says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That spirit there is the Holy Spirit that is given to each and every believer on salvation. You know, there's a saying that says, false humility is thinly veiled ego disguised as self-confidence. Think about this. False humility is thinly veiled ego disguised as self-confidence. But do you know what I say? I don't say have self-confidence. I don't say any of that. You know what I say? Have confidence in God's word, period. Have confidence in God. And lastly, Jesus gives us the gift, a wonderful gift, the ability to be in him, in his presence on a daily basis, 24-7, We have the ability to talk to a holy God personally. 1 John 3, 22 and 24 through 24. (coughs) Excuse me. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. John says that whatever we ask, we receive from him. But many will say, Pastor, you know, I've prayed for a lot of things, a lot of good things, and I didn't get it. Yep, but there's a qualifier here. We have to keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Oh, pastor, we don't need to go all the way back to the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Lamentations and all that, do we? Nope, we don't. We just need to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And John told us what they are. And when we do that, or will, our will and his will will line up. 
I know that's a lot right there. When we are doing God's commandments, our will and his will will line up. And we won't be asking for things that we shouldn't be asking for. We won't be asking outside of his will, but before the things he wants. James tells us something about this in the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 1. I went back a little bit, but bear with me. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And I think it's interesting how the New Living Translation also translates this. I'm going to read out of that real quick. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James wasn't talking to the, was, was talking to the believer here, not the unbeliever. And he uses words like war and fighting and killing. He's talking to the believer. Now, he may have been using some hyperbole here, you know, but it's still the same in the heart. When we ask for something that's not within God's will, either out of selfishness or for some other reason that it's not in his will, then we'll not get it. Did you know that? If we're submitted to God, his will, his desires, his commands, in order that we can ask and it will be given us. Why? Because we don't ask wrongly or selfishly or amiss. So what's that commandments? What are the commandments that we've got to follow to have our prayers? answered. Are you ready? This is going to blow your mind. Ready? And this is his commandment. Verse 23, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. That's it. But guess what? You can't do that in and of yourself. Only the believer can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as good deeds and actions flow out of a a heart changed by God, so too is the love that flows out of our hearts for our fellow believers and for those that are coming to Christ. John writes here this reality. So it is really only one command. Think about it. Believe on Jesus. What's going to happen? Love's going to flow. Believe on Jesus and love will flow forward to other people. And now verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All of this change is not something you can work up. It is spiritually experienced. I say we move by faith and not by sight. But there is. Sometimes the Lord gives us an experience. 
And as so long as it lines up with the Word of God, then I would say it's valid. The salvation of our souls is definitely an experience. You're walking one way, all of a sudden, bam! Whoa, where'd that come from? And you go the other way. You get a hunger for God. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Only those who have experienced a new life know exactly what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift to the regenerate believer. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So through the Holy Spirit, we're now able to keep his commandments. And in so doing, we can abide in him. And if we are in him, then he is in us. And the result is a life that is filled with new purpose and power through the supernatural working of God himself. You become a conduit for him. Man, oh man, Jesus truly does give us some gift. Give us some gifts. Jesus gives us a new heart. If you remember nothing, Jesus gives us a new heart. Confidence before a holy God and the ability to abide in him. As the ladies come and sing now, let me ask you a question. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, who are you really inside? Are you the Christian who maybe has got the mud of sin on you? And I told you that little story about, about when I was... I don't know, four or five. And I went and played in the mud and got all nasty and my mom hosed me down with the... That was a traumatic event. I can still remember that. There's a lot of things I can't, but I remember that. Well, that's the way it is with sin. You on the inside, but you're covered in it. God comes with the hose and starts spraying you off. Doesn't get all the mud right away, but as we live out life, he sanctifies us. He makes us new. He makes us what we ought to be. Where are you in that journey? Have you stalled? Sometimes we just get so busy about being busy, we forget why we're being busy. It's to share the gospel. We must share the gospel at all times and all that we do. If you'd like special prayer, I'll be up here. If you don't know Jesus and you want to come to know him, Make sure you don't go into eternity without a holy God, without Jesus, because you're going to wake up, unfortunately, in hell. If you want to know that you know that you know, come up here and I'll introduce you to Jesus. As we stand and sing.